0: Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I to fly, a wonderful night. let go. Yeah, no, it was really, it was good. It was very, very good. Like, there was nothing wrong. It just, it could have been a bit louder. You know what I mean? So, there was nothing wrong, but it could have been a bit louder. <laughs> Well, no, I think that's a very—it's a very small complaint to make because I like to come out of a Mogwai gig and, with my and, ears ringing. And if you're saying something
1: could have been a bit louder, then it probably really could. Yeah, have, could yeah. Have used some we don't extra imagine volume.
2: that you're someone fond of very loud noises. <laughs> yeah. But I guess maybe a gig that changes. What? Why? What's this? It's just the the persona you give off. I don't think you'd like. Well, it's not unlike me. I mean, off.
1: I think we both like our kind of peace and quiet. Rather. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. A, a oh, mi- okay. A yeah. million different loud noises
0: everywhere. I like to cancel. Yeah, I like to cancel things out. Yeah. But I, yeah, some of the gigs I've gone to see in I've come away with literally my ears ringing just like. Durr. And you enjoy and that? Enjoy that I enjoy the pain. Yeah. It's a weird thing, but yeah. I sort of enjoy it. Like an Arsenal fan.
2: Or an American. Touche. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> Touche, <laughs> <Touché, laughs> I believe,
0: is the word. Okay, let's crack on with the podcast. Joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Daniel Isroff. Hi. And Lewis Ambrose. Should you wish to get in touch, dear listener, the email to send your love, abuse or questions to is onefootball.com. Or should you wish you can get onto iTunes, give the pod a rating, leave a comment, etc, etc, etc. We would really appreciate it if you do. Now, it was supposed to be a bumper weekend of great football across Europe, but with the draws in Liverpool and Madrid and many of the bigger games turning out to be more Kingdom of the Crystal Skull than Raiders of the Lost Ark...
1: Ian, what weekend did you watch? <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I saw different games to you then. But we did have Dortmund losing, we had Arsenal losing, and we had Man City winning. So that was good. Yeah I mean I, I thought it was all pretty exciting I was Depends actually, on your perspective
1: I uh, would say On duty but yeah unless you watched uh, Liverpool Man United I thought it was pretty good for
0: the rest of the weekend I think the less we say about Liverpool Manchester United the better True, yep. true, true. Okay uh, let's start with Dortmund who were beaten 3-2 by Leipzig Lewis as I'm sure you will know They were unbeaten at home since the 4th of April 2015 A 41 game streak The 5th longest in Bundesliga history A streak that was made up of 34 wins and 7 draws What went wrong?
2: Uh, what went right? Uh, Dortmund have... it's. I, you can take worrying, really worrying trends from the season so far. So Dortmund the top of the Bundesliga. It's hard to complain about that. But they've played three strong sides so far under Peter Bosch. And they've now lost all three of them. Tottenham and Real Madrid in the Champions League. Ooh. And Leipzig at the weekend have conceded three goals in each of those games too. Um, which is obviously a trend that doesn't bode particularly well. The next home games coming up are against Bayern, against Schalke, against Hoffenheim. Um, and the way the German fixture work means that that means they have to play all three of those sides and Leipzig consecutive away games after Christmas. Uh, so, yeah, things aren't looking quite so rosy. There, there are different elements to it though, obviously. This game was different to the games against Madrid and Tottenham. Dortmund... T- didn't in those games adjust their approach and paid the price. They did this time they were more tentative. They sat off a bit deeper and individual mistakes you would say cost the team. They were playing without Lucas Piszczek at right back. They're playing still with a t- teenage centre back who's 6 foot 5 at left back because uh, Schmelzer <laughs> and Guerrero remain out. Schmelzer's travelled to Nicosia for the Champions League this midweek, which would be a huge boost. He's only played once and Rafael Guerrero hasn't played for Peter Bosz yet. Um So there are reasons to believe things will get better. And Dortmund definitely did look better in this game than in their other two big fixtures so far this season. But talk of a Bundesliga title race is all but premature. They went into the weekend five points clear of Bayern. That has been cut down to two points now. And there really isn't too much to suggest that anyone will hold Bayern off as people liked the idea of, I think, a few weeks back.
0: It was a game not without some controversial decisions a red for either side a
2: penalty for either side what did you make of them uh it it was odd actually it was all a bit soft and the the dortmund red card came from the penalty incident socrates just putting an arm on i think it's augustine who went down really easily um very easily really easily and i was a bit surprised not to see the video referee actually judge that decision but the penalty was given socrates walked um and Dortmund were given a very... Possibly an even softer penalty at the other end later in the game. And th- that time, Dennis Eitken did look at the video for assistance. And you really get the impression that he was evening up the scores a little bit there. And it was it's a strange one, VAR, because in other sports, tennis or cricket and the American sports, the ball's in or it's out. It, there is no... It is black and white. And football... Is contact a penalty? Is there enough contact? Taking into account momentum and taking into account doing something deliberately or not. And I think actually it was a good game, a game that was good for really highlighting some of the limitations of using the video assistant referee in football. Because you can reach decisions that are correct, but don't look correct to a lot of people. I have a question about
0: VAR. If the referee makes a wrong decision and VAR notices it, can they get in touch and say, hey, you've, you've messed up that one?
2: Yeah, they do. They, oh, okay. they, the, they get in touch with the ref. The ref can ask them to look at something, but they also get in touch with the ref. And then usually he will go and consult a screen next to the pitch and overturn his own decision rather than being overturned just by the guys who have the cameras. I wanted to talk about Berkey, but... Maybe. <laughs> I like Roman Burke and I think if you look I thought he was at fault for two goals I think he was at fault for the uh, I think he could have done better on the first goal Mm -hmm. I think it was a nice set piece if you put your your big striker on a fairly small right back and you win the first header, then the set piece is always going to be incredibly dangerous. And I think Burke reacted wrongly as the ball came in. He charged for it, and he should have stayed on his line yeah. or gone for the, the starfish and just you know cover as much as possible and play the percentages. Is that what that's called, the starfish? Yeah, that's a good term. The, the, the I've never Peter heard Schmeichel that before. Thing, no? yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great term. Yeah. I love it. Okay, well we'll call it the starfish the, the
0: from the now Peter on. Peter Schmeichel starfish.
2: Yeah, save. I would have just
0: called it the Schmeichel, but the starfish oh, yeah, is good too. Yeah. All
2: right. well, it's it's the same thing Okay, but yeah I, and play the percentages but he, he tried to win the ball or a ball that he wasn't going to win the second goal Toljan messed up twice and Socrates let Paulson go really easily in the middle and the ball's come from three feet away from Burke. he's tried to cover the goal and it's been passed instead and gone through his legs I don't think there's much you can do about
0: whenever it whenever I watch Dortmund I always feel like there's a clangor in Berkey I, he just seems to be—he just seems to be one of those keepers that, like, if you really want to make it, he's not reliable enough. Right.
2: So I—I I think this is where there's a difficult line to walk because it's what—what what do people perceive Dortmund as as well? Is this a team that's going to win the Bundesliga and within Champions League semi-finals every year? It's not. It's just not going to be. They play against. Should the Bayern. challenge for the title though. Why? Bayern Munich have l- almost double the revenue. Why should they challenge for the title? Nobody. Well, it's not always about revenue. Am I wrong? Well, it here? is well, almost always well, when you correlate results to to spend and to wage budgets but and that I, kind of I, I thing. think related to that
1: going back to goalkeepers how many goalkeepers are, in the w- are there in the world where you'd say they don't have a clanger in them and I think, I think the there's question. there's you can you can list them so on in, one in hand in the yeah, german media how many completely reliable goalkeepers in the german
2: media the names that are thrown around that could replace Roman Bürki mm-hmm. because Dortmund can't spend 50 million on a goalkeeper they can't attract a Neuer or a Dehayah So Dortmund, if they were to sign a replacement, would go for Köln's Timo Horn or PSG's Kevin Trapp, who isn't playing for PSG at the moment. Dortmund, bar spending a club record fee that they can't afford to spend on a goalkeeper, can't sign somebody who would actually be a significant improvement on right. Berkey anyway. Okay. Uh, and the club, it's, it, time will tell. But the club, how they rate two young goalkeepers really, really highly. They have Dominic P- Reimann. P- P- Pulisic's
1: cousin is a, a goalkeeper. In the he's Dortmund left the club now. He's oh, gone he's back left. to uh, college okay. in the US. Wait, oh, Pulisic's
2: cousin was that Dortmund? He played. Yeah. Uh, he played a year in Dortmund last year for. Okay. The, uh, I think for the under nineteens. Oh, yeah, right. Dortmund have a uh, Dominic Reimann, who's eighteen and was taken on the preseason tour. This year, and they have a goalkeeper who's 16, and now is the first choice goalkeeper for the under 19 side already. Hmm. Um, who is being thrown around? Lucas Unverhaun has been thrown around as the next Manuel Neuer, you and I, I wonder if Dortmund don't want to sign a goalkeeper partly at least because they think they have two class goalkeepers coming up and if you mm-hmm. sign a 25-year-old now it hurts in five chances. years, yeah. actually those two guys could be ready enough to
0: play. Yeah, Well, that's probably enough Dortmund for now. They're playing Applewell this week. Uh, we might mention that a little bit later when we talk Champions League, but there are other games we want to get to. I want to highlight two from the Premier League. That's Man City's pairing 7-2 win over Stoke and Watford's win over Arsenal, but also two from the Bundesliga, one of which you were at, Lewis, where Hertha took a knee.
2: Yeah, they did. It was met by thunderous applause almost in the stadium. Really, really, yeah. really well received inside the stadium. Um, yes, yeah, so I heard the took a knee. They it came over the tannoy um, that her to uh, for diversity and against violence. It was obviously something mm. to show solidarity with American athletes at the mm-hmm. moment. It's a pretty good, pretty good mantle to have in life, I think. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I got uh, I got
1: lots of texts saying, "Who are these guys? I like yeah. them." <laughs> um, I, yeah. I think it, it was definitely it was well received, definitely in in, in my circles. Um, and I like the way they phrased it too. It was all about sort of openness and yeah, um, tolerance and and those those values.
2: Yeah, Michael Prez, the the sort of director of the club, said that in this day and age, it's very important for such visible football clubs to mark where they stand on these matters, which I think Mm -hmm. is nice. Um, I'm surprised maybe we haven't seen a bit more of it across European football, actually. Um, And the players, uh, Captain Perski said it was a stand against racism and um, Sebastian Langkamp nicely said that we're in the 21st century and there are some who still have 18th century ideal (laughs) ideologies (laughs) um, and if we can just do this and help change a few of their minds then we've done well as Danny says in his circles it was well received and that's been met by, with some cynicism, I think. Was it just a PR stunt, that kind of thing? I don't think so. I didn't get um, the sense it was a but PR But the thing stunt. is, for it me, is, yeah. for me, it's irrelevant. If exactly. it can help,
1: it can help. If it adds extra PR for her to have, so I mean, be it.
2: So the idea came from the club, not the players, but all of the players were immediately on board. Hmm. And as you say, in this sense, PR or no PR, like no matter why they've done it, they've done it. And that's actually what matters. Right. And all
0: Bayern's problems are solved. Five-0 yeah. win over Freiburg.
2: Yeah, they did. I don't think they had quite as many problems as we were all saying that's originally. Uh, yeah, It's I like to see it's, it's drama. the
1: funniest thing. They they've they've had a crisis season and Dortmund were getting a lot of praise very and early. Two Dortmund are 2 points <laughs> ahead of Bayern. <time>. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious.
2: Yeah, it, it's that's the nature of when you're expected to win every single match by a comfortable margin, I guess. Um yeah, all of the players are now playing for a coach that they don't dislike anymore. So with that amount of talent and that size of squad, they should Pretty much walks their way to the league as we'd have all predicted two months ago.
0: And speaking of walking their way to the league, Manchester City have scored five or more at home for the third league game running. Twenty-nine goals so far this season. Five of those have been set up by Kevin De Bruyne. Boy, did he look sensational at the weekend!
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think we've uh, wow, we, we've visited Kevin De Bruyne a couple of times on this yeah. podcast before. He's uh, yeah, sensational. I think what you're seeing is a uh, a player really in the peak of his career with tremendous all-around ability uh, who's thriving in a a system that that is in many ways I think built around him. Mm -hmm. I was watching a little bit and you see him sort of pointing and and shouting and creating space. He's almost become Pep's new kind of shabby, shabby Alonso type, not necessarily in in how he plays, but in being the brains on the field and orchestrating everything. and Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal to watch.
0: The vision of the passes is just breathtaking. His,
1: his brain just works so much quicker than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible to see. And, and then not only that, I've, I've said it before, he has the technical capability to physically match what's going on in his head. So he mm-hmm. can do it basically as quickly as he can think it out. Um,
2: and with clinical efficiency as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's he he's a player who one of those rare players who can both dictate a game and make a difference in special moments. Mm. So normally, players are one or the other, and he can uh, he can really do both.
2: He played a significant role in all the goals that were scored. I think mm. while he was on the pitch, yeah. there was the the. Cut back pass to Leroy Sane oh, for the second goal. Like the, the blindsided everyone, but the pass for uh, Gabriel Jesus in the second half is oh, the the ball. Went out, but the as the ball went out wide, if you watch it, there's there's not a moment where you don't think Kevin De Bruyne isn't going to make that pass I mean, and it's a, it, it makes it look so easy and it's a hard ball to pull off Fair play
0: to his he's obviously on, on quite a good wavelength with his teammates as well though that they all they all know to be there too That that's what I find so amazing that he play plays these passes like that, and they're
2: there I think you're not so reluctant to make runs because you know he'll find you uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's what Ian Rush said about Dal-Glish, is he he just made runs because he knew Dalgalish would get the ball to him
1: but, but also I think credit to Guardiola I think what you're seeing with Man City is it's really all coming together he's got in players who Mm. the the players who he wants to, to fulfill his vision and that I think it it was the same goal we're talking about. Did you see the clip going around where they, they built it up out of the yeah, back? That yeah. that goal. It was that goal. Yeah, that um, goal um, and, the back. and and just how everyone knows three passes ahead where the ball's gonna be, where, mm-hmm. where they have to be, where the movement has to be, the timing of it all. Bakhraisanya
0: was was talking and saying when when it clicks and everybody gets Pep Guardiola, City are gonna be unstoppable.
1: Right. So that's the thing, is will it last? That's <laughs> just the nah, big question. Nah. Is, but will it, is, will it last?
0: Yeah, let's put it to you. Will it last? <laughs> So,
1: I think the difference between this season and last season is he's got in obviously certain players, identified areas of weaknesses, uh, and got in goalkeepers and, and full backs. I still have a few questions when it, it shit really hits the fan. Are they strong enough, sort of in the back, in, uh, in the middle, right in front of the back? Um, and we'll see. I think a lot depends on, on, on how good Man United are going to be in terms of the league title.
0: Is De Bruyne the best player in the Premier League this season?
2: Uh, at the moment, yeah.
0: Okay. He He's been a favourite of mine for quite some time, I have to say. Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay, getting back to
0: Arsenal. 2-1 loss to Watford. It was Watford's first home victory over Arsenal in 30 years. 30 years, that's a long time, isn't it? The first goal of Watford's, of course, came from what Wenger described as a scandalous decision. Does he have a point, Lewis?
2: Uh I thought so. I I don't I thought we talked about two soft penalties in the Dortmund game. I thought this was a really, really soft penalty again. I um yeah, and that's uh, sort of the nature of football and football punditry and which is we're all sitting here talking about the game now and the narratives. It, it could all be so different if Arsenal did not play well on Saturday, and I think that's definitely the first thing that always needs to be said in these situations. Arsenal didn't play well and Arsenal didn't really deserve to win. Um Having said that, they got themselves into a position where they were ahead. Uh, They could have scored a second goal. And if Arsenal come away from that with no penalty awarded and see out a 1-0 win, everybody says, oh, this looks like a different Arsenal. They're suddenly clinging on and they have a bit of mental drive. Um, Because the referees made a bad decision, Arsenal have got the result they actually deserved. But... It switches everything on its head, and I don't think I don't think the game changed because Arsenal were bad. I think Arsenal were bad for the entire game. They didn't have a shot for the first twenty nine minutes. Um, so so it, it, yeah, I think it's easy to say the game changed on that moment and Arsenal crumbled, but equally that moment couldn't have ha- could have but, not happened.
1: But yeah, you you can talk about narratives and you can talk about moments, and I I definitely agree with you. Most of the time, I think people are searching to put things into narratives when they don't necessarily fit. But at the same time, you have to recognized patterns and this is yeah. a, a a pattern that has happened too many times over the years for there not to it's, be something it's a car crash so, some, something real in it yeah. um and so yeah all you can really say is same old arsenal There's not-
0: another pattern is that it's their third away defeat this season
2: yeah and only one goal scored in those games as mm. well i i think the past few years i don't think arsenal are much different to what we've seen uh, for four or five years. No. I, I think that the Premier League is getting smarter and it's much more difficult to win away games against more competent managers. You, you, not every away game comes against poor teams and poor coaches anymore. And I think that did happen. And I, w- w- Watford wouldn't have had Marco Silva in charge mm. in the past. And now they do. And I think every away game is a really tough one.
0: It was Murder Sacker's first start in 18 months and his first goal in 1400 days. Some interesting comments from Troy Deeney afterwards. I don't know if we want to get into that. But the win, anyway, means Watford, with eight games played, are in a Champions League spot. And makes me look pretty foolish because I tipped him to go for relegation. It it also makes uh, Paul Merson look pretty foolish because...
2: Marco Silva, what's he
0: on?
1: He's a top, top Mm. manager. I think he deserves a, a top job after this, honestly.
0: Well, he may do. Watford don't keep their managers very long. This is true. It's not a good Paul shot, doesn't need anyone else to make himself look <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Which reminds me, the return of the domestic leagues means the return of Europe's premier cup competition, and that means the return of some very tasty games indeed. Danny, Dortmund play Applewell. Well, like I said, I think we've talked enough about Dortmund. That's not that's not quite interesting because there's a slightly bigger game in there same in that same group, and that's Madrid against Spurs. Boom. Yeah. No, so
1: there are a few interesting points here. I think, I mean, first of all, the, both teams are now in a good position to qualify. Dortmund are still on on no points, and uh, and and Tottenham and Madrid on six. Uh, there are a few connections between the club. There's there's the, the the Gareth Bale thing. Obviously, you have Madrid linked with Harry Kane the whole time, and Deli Ali. I don't really think either of those will ever happen. Well, but Harry
0: Kane is moving for Modric, Bale, and Benzema.
1: Yeah. No, we can. We'll, we'll see what happens. But here, here's my here's my fun fact about this one. Yeah. The last time Tottenham went to the Bernabeu, who remembers who scored a brace for Real Madrid? Emmanuel Adebayor. Very good. Oh Very wow! Good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a they about,
0: Was it the quarterfinals of the yeah. Champions League? I
1: think, yeah, I think qu- so round of sixteen qu- no, qu- think, quarter no quarterfinals because they, they they'd won. Um, they won in the round of sixteen. Yeah, correct. Yeah, um, yeah it was a f- forgotten chapter in the history of Real Madrid. the glorious Emmanuel Adebayor.
2: Yeah, I mean, this starts um, an interesting run of
0: games for Spurs. I will see them play Madrid, Liverpool, West Ham, Man United, Madrid again, then Palace, Arsenal, and Dortmund feels like a really big game for them.
1: Yeah, so I, I think it's a real chance for them to, and we keep saying this, to, to, to show how much they've progressed uh, and, and to really make a statement. I think uh, they can do that even without necessarily getting a result. I think if they go to the, the, the Bernabeu and they, they play on, on a level close to Real Madrid and they show a good performance, they, they show a serious you know, big-time European performance even if they lose by the odd goal, uh, I, I think that'll be a huge step for them and a, a huge statement. Can they do it? Yeah, I think they can. I, th- I think There's no deli alley, of course. I, I, I think the, 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 the Dortmund game will have given them a lot of confidence mm. that they can compete at, on that level, uh, that they have the players, they have the, the, the intensity, they, ha- they have the right tactics. Um, and, and Madrid have been a bit shaky. I think there's a, there's a real opening there. Their first home win of the season, I believe, at the weekend. Uh,
0: I think second...
1: No, the, the, sorry, this was away. It was Cristiano's first goal ah, that's of what the season. As well. yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's a pretty interesting game. Elsewhere, the aforementioned Manchester City take on Napoli, let me start this section off with a little fact for you two. Did you know City's first match in the Champions League was at home to Napoli? Six years ago. Wow. And Napoli have never won away to English clubs in five previous attempts. Ah. So there you go. Will it be
2: any different, Lewis? Napoli have never looked this good in in oh, recent years. That's true. Think. Um... I don't know if it'll be different. It's hard to see anybody taking anything off Man City at the moment, but it's equally as hard to see anyone stopping Napoli from winning. I, so I have absolutely no idea how the game is going to pan out. I just know that it's very, very exciting. They're the two best teams in Europe and Ooh. they're the two best footballing teams in Europe too. If you're looking for, we've, we all are obviously familiar with how Man City are playing at the moment. If you're looking for another team that plays like that, that plays with the ball, with 60-70% possession that plays 800 passes in a game that attacks from every single angle imaginable. It's Napoli. Um, and I think before the weekend Pep Guardiola even said that uh, Maurizio sorry has them playing the best football in Europe. Ooh, uh, said that's thing. quite so a compliment. I, if you're looking for anyone that plays football like, like Pep's Bayern or Barcelona or currently Man City, Napoli are probably the team to watch.
0: Eight wins from eight in Serie A, 26 goals, five against... I could see City struggling.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I actually we did our for the first time ever our European power rankings. That's true, we did. Yeah. And, uh, I had, who was first? For you? I, had, I had City first and Napoli second. So oh, I we completely agree with Lewis. I think um, Napoli are a, a, a thrilling force. They had a big away win at, at Roma at the weekend, uh, and this is actually the game I'm most looking forward to out of out of the bunch.
2: They have Dries Mertens up front; is on fire, but oh. it's the left side. Did they? They play in a 4-3-3, but they play everything goes down the left with Fawzi, Goulam, uh, Marek Hamsik and Lorenz Insigne from the wing. And it's just frightening to watch when the three of them are combining. Danny, you want to talk a bit about Juventus? They take on Sporting?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a bit of an interesting moment for Juventus as well. So they've um, dropped points twice in a row now in in Serie. A. I think they're fourth in the table. And Dybala's missed a penalty at the moment. Dybala missed a late penalty in both of those games, and um, Iguain's not really firing at anything like the rate that we've uh, come to expect from him. Um, so I think this could be an interesting one. They 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 obviously lost to Barcelona, so they do need to beat Sporting at home. And if they trip up we could see them in, in a little bit of trouble.
0: First time the clubs have ever played each other.
1: Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Wow, given given the historic nature of both clubs. that's
0: It is amazing, isn't impressive. it? Quite mm-hmm. impressive, yeah. Okay. Um, last week I mentioned we had been picking our best teams over the past 20 years or so, or at least I had been. So we would quite a reaction to this. Do you want to hear what our listeners have chosen?
1: I do. I don't want to pick my own team, but I'm very
0: happy to <laughs> okay. criticize okay, other people's yeah. <laughs> teams. So, Arkash Gupta got in charge. Uh, he went for Buffon in net. His backline is Cafu, Maldini, Cannavaro, Roberto Carlos. His midfield is Seedorf. Interesting. Chavi and Pirlo. And then he's gone for Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, I think, up front. Maybe he's missing a couple of players there.
1: I think, yeah. Anyways, anyway, I, I, think, would still I beat most teams. Uh, yeah, the, last exactly. years <laughs> in the Seedorf is nine. the Seedorf is the
0: interesting one for me. I don't know. But you I, know
1: what it does? I was thinking it adds balance to the the midfield with Pirlo and Xavi
0: because there's not a whole lot of running around going on with those two. That, that is so. very true. Okay, Anthony J Lewis has also been in touch. He says, "Hello, lads. I thought Ian's starting. I thought Ian's starting eleven was solid. It was more than solid, Anthony. Let's be honest. But was missing a couple of key players. He's also gone for Buffon and goal. His back line is." Roberto Carlos, Banucci, Puyol, and
2: Philip Lam. Philip Lam, mm-hmm. Philip Lam is definitely Good. should be there. Good Puyol? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Also, I think at his peak, I mean, if, and and you get the nice contrast again between Puyol's style and and Banucci's style. So.
0: Okay. And then his midfield is Xavi, Iniesta, and Lampard. Oh, I don't. I, like can't, that. I can't back no. this, Anthony. No, sorry, <laughs> sorry. We can't go on that one. His front line is Messi, Ronaldo, and Ronaldinho. He says he cannot believe Ronaldinho didn't receive so much as an honourable mention on the pod. Have we forgotten about the magic of the man?
1: So you know what? It's that his, his, at his peak yeah. he's comparable to almost anyone but mm-hmm. that peak was unfortunately very, very short and you just can't kind of rely on him to show up to a game.
0: Not even a mention of Romario that, that amongst of any of us. Yeah. I noticed, and I noticed if We're only going back 20 years Romario well, that's true. barely sneaks in. Uh, and I noticed still knows Zidane. Keep setting those in. Podcast at OneFootball.com Last week, the USA achieved the impossible by managing not to qualify for the World Cup when qualification seemed a foregone conclusion. The former player and current pundit, Taylor Twillman, uh, he seemed to take it all in his stride.
2: I don't have the It's the same size as Corpus Christi, Texas or Anaheim, California. They can
0: figure it out. If the United States can't figure it out, then no no business being involved because if Iceland, an uh, an area that small, the size of Corpus Christi, Texas, I have to repeat that because that's an unbelievable reminder saying, how can we not figure this out? It was the first time since 1986 America will not be there. So, Danny, the big question, what went wrong? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a question. Um, I, can't get any more, I can't get any bigger questions than that. Yeah, I think what went
1: right would be a, a much easier question. Um, no, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a, a catastrophe for, for, for America and for the sport in that country. Uh, I think the, it's, it's prompted a lot of sort of soul searching and a million billion think pieces and everyone has an opinion on, on, on what went wrong. I think the, the right approach is to, to, to look at it in a balanced, rational way and say there is progress being made, for sure. There are a few things that are going right. There's a lot that has to change, clearly. Um, because even, I mean, the, the truth is they, 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 they didn't make it on what was a phantom goal in the, the Panama game. It could have all been very different than a narrative would have been. Again, we're talking about moments and narratives. The narratives mm-hmm. would have been, oh, well, Bruce Arena came in. He did well to, to recover, and uh, it's exciting. There's Pulisic. So, so it just shows, again, how fine the margins are. But at the same time, the fact that America uh, were even a, in a position not to qualify for the World Cup says that something is very wrong and lots of things uh, need to change.
0: So what's, I presume you've got a list there of what you yeah, would like so to change. Yeah, I
1: so I mean, I could, I could literally do, I think, a whole podcast series of several months um, <laughs> on, on this topic. I think, for, first of all, to go back to what I was saying, let's start with what's going right Uh, because there are a few things going right. I think you're seeing the emergence of some really... Uh, talented young players, headlined of course by by the wonder boy, by, by by Pulisic, um, but you have uh, American players basically in the first team or on the fringes at at, at Dortmund, Schalke, Chelsea, Tottenham. There's a, a kid heading to Man City soon. Uh, you have kids in the youth teams at Liverpool, Man United, Barcelona, all over the place. So, so clearly there are things going right. Now the 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 big question then with this team would be what, what's wrong with the current squad. And there was an interesting article that came out actually before this whole, um, Trinidad and Tobago fiasco, T- Tabasco, sorry. <laughs> has to be, has to be Tabasco, right? Um, uh, which, which was basically highlighting this, this missing generation of American players, uh, after the sort of London Donovans, Clint Dempsey's, mm. Michael Bradley's and, uh, up to the, the Pulisic and where have all these players gone? So if you look at the squad that lost to Trinidad and Tobago, in the entire squad, there were only two players between the ages of 22 and 27. That's and and for, yeah. for, for, for most teams, wow. so that's, that's not including 22 and 27, mm-hmm. months, but for for most teams, that, that is the heart. I mean, those are the players in the peak of their careers. That's, yeah. that's the heart of the team that that, that it's built around. Uh, so in, in in the American system currently, most people who are good enough to get anywhere near the national team are either over the age of thirty, so so over the hill, and that generation for me now has to has to move on, or under the age of twenty two and sort of coming up, but mm. still not quite there yet to be the
0: foundation of uh, of the team, not sufficiently experienced for say a big game like this where you or, need cool right heads.
1: completely, and the truth yeah. uh, the, the, the you know. A lot of people in America talk about Concacaf and how difficult that qualification is. the The, the truth is, it is. Uh, the The teams aren't very good, but the circumstances are very hard. And it, 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 having an experienced team, um, w- which uh, Mexico, Honduras, the, those teams that have made it, Costa Rica, are experienced, really counts for a lot. Um, so, so the question is, how do you arrive at this mi- missing generation? Well, what happened about um, ten years ago is. Uh, the, the whole U.S. Soccer Federation did their own sort of version of the German uh, reboot, if you like, um, in, in a way and standardized the whole youth development system, introduced this academy, uh, this development academy that, that has been producing results. It's far from perfect, uh, but you do have kids coming through now that, that, that are showing that things are going right. Uh, that says there still has to be uh, a sort of seismic shift in, in U.S. soccer, Uh, in lots of other areas. And the main, I suppose, my main thesis behind what's gone wrong is the the culture in the entire organization right from the Federation down to MLS is basically more focused on uh, financial growth and protecting financial interests than it is on... Uh, developing players, hmm. so I can go into some examples if yeah. you want yeah, yeah. To, to to go more deeply. So, so the, the 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 big one is the the sport in the country and the way it's marketed. And it's important to understand in America that literally the marketing arm of the U.S. Soccer Federation, which is supposed to be its own separate company, is very closely intertwined. Literally run by the same people mm-hmm. who run MLS, who run the U.S. Soccer. Uh, Federation, So there's a massive conflict of interest going on there for me. Um, the, 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 the way it's marketed, the way it's targeted is uh, to make money, is at, at, at middle class people typically. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> you wouldn't say ordinarily there's nothing in and of itself wrong with that. But if you look at football around the world in the countries that have been successful, it's a working class sport.
0: Right, and in America, it's more of a almost a pay-to-play system.
1: Completely, so that's a big part of the problem. Is you still have uh, clubs not paid properly for developing players, uh, clubs who uh, the 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 majority of the system families are still forced to 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 pay quite a lot of money on an annual basis to have their kids play, and what happens is you lose out on vast swaths of uh, potential typically in areas where other countries have found a lot of successful players. So if you look, for example, at the demographics of the U.S. team, without even knowing the backgrounds of the players, which are mostly middle class, mostly pretty comfortable, you can see, if you look at England, if you look at France, if you look at the Mm. Netherlands, if you look at um, some of the teams in South America, you can see the demographic differences. And I I truly believe the U.S. won't be successful until it starts uh, looking into these areas and, and trying to promote the game um, there. Uh, a second problem, MLS. We talk about MLS a lot on this podcast. I, I think you guys will know I'm pretty fond of the way that it's it's developed and that it's grown. But at the same time, there is no doubt in my mind that it's holding uh, the development of players in the country back. Uh,
0: is this because of lack of competitiveness? Like you could go quite a bit of this season without really having anything to play for so, so
1: that's a huge problem so promotion and relegation again and this yeah. leads, leads back to my original point the, the, the fact that there's no basically if you ask any sort of normal American fan in you know a friend of mine or whatever they'd say well of course it's a no brainer of course you, you need promotion and relegation uh, most fans are in favour of it there's several uh, um, studies that have come out and shown this the reason it will never happen is because it's a risk to owners of MLS yeah. clubs
2: and, right. they, would also, to, and they, they would have to vote in favor of it in order for it to change. Financially
0: very expensive to join the MLS as well.
1: Correct. Yeah. So so it's all to protect this sort of boys club of uh, of investors. And of course, promotion and relegation helps you develop players. It helps you be able to bring young players through. Mm. It helps the, the, the competitive uh, nature of the thing. Well, yeah, uh,
2: so there is the North American Soccer League, but... You don't have a third tier where young players can go and play in or a second tier and there's a sense of progression as right. they get and, more and more and, ready for MLS. And there's
1: no moving up and down. And yeah. then the, the second thing I wanted to say about MLS is it, it's, it's financially very successful. The, the model's working incredibly. It's bringing money into the game. What that's done is it's uh, brought back um, top American internationals from Europe. So the, example, the big examples are Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, mm-hmm. you've seen plenty more now, yeah. uh, who have basically said in the middle of what should be the peak years of their careers, uh, I'm at a point where I'm not going to develop anymore. Uh, I'm coming back and being comfortable in MLS. Instead of um, saying, okay, I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to get even better. I'm going to be training with the best in the world on a, on a day-to-day basis. And what that's done is it's encouraged players like, and there's this guy, Jordan Morris, who you'll remember because he was going to go to To Werder Bremen, he came and trained with them, who's playing at Seattle, a young player who's now said, well, it's okay for me too to stay in MLS uh, and to follow the example of these guys rather than making the jump to Europe. Uh, and, and, and putting myself in a situation where I can get better. And actually, Jermaine Jones went on this wonderful sort of 15-minute Instagram rant uh, talking about exactly this. And, and he, he'll get a fair amount of criticism for it, but the truth is he's completely right. It's that MLS is not at a level where the everyday training... they are literally park players on MLS clubs. I've seen... I've seen it myself. You're, you're training with, of, of course, you're training with some great players. You're also training with park players. And, and you're not fighting for your place if you're an American international. You're guaranteed to have a starting spot.
2: It's it's interesting you should say that because we both watched um, Christian Pulisic on 60 Minutes recently. Mm-hmm. And, the, I don't know, the, and you're probably more familiar with the woman hosting the show. Um, but she said to him... But why Germany? Like, there are so many gr- MLS clubs that would love to have you. And he just looked at her and he said, well, I always grew up being told if you want to be the best, you got to play with the best. Mm. But apparently that's not something that permeates through right. American and, and, culture.
1: And I think it was for a while, but now it's 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 become... MLS has become acceptable, which is great on one hand, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's, it's very good. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it's, I think it's actively hurting the, the, the development of some of the
0: younger and more talented players. Okay, well, we'll have to come back to that another day. It is a pretty fascinating right. subject. Yeah, like I said, I have lots and it. lots to say. Then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all from us today. My thanks to Danny Lewis and producer Damo. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.